Good morning, Autumn Ridge. Do you have any recurring dreams? I have one a little too frequently where I walk into a classroom and I realize it's time to take the final, but then I also realize that I forgot to attend the class the whole semester. I hate that one. I also have one a little too often where I'm in some kind of a large airplane and something's gone wrong and suddenly I'm the one at the controls and I've got to land this thing. I actually rather enjoy that one. But the one that completely wakes me up on the wrong side of the bed, so to speak, is that one that happens too often where I know I've got to get somewhere important. Oftentimes, I'm back a few years in my family's life when my kids are little and I need to get there to school to pick them up on time. And no matter what, I can't get there. My car breaks down or trees fall in my way. Or last week when I had this dream, my shoes turned to some kind of sticky liquid and I couldn't move. It's so frustrating. Does anyone else have this kind of a dream or do I just need more therapy? <laughs> All right, I see some allies out there. Very good. It is really frustrating when we know we have to get somewhere to do something or we feel responsible for someone and things or obstacles just keep getting in our way. Worse yet, when people get in our way. Worse yet, when they're people who we feel like should be helping us and they're just working at cross purposes with us. Or worse yet, when they're people who are actually actively working against us, trying to prevent us from doing what we feel we need to do. This is a very frustrating thing, and it challenges our patience, and apparently, at least for a handful of us, we have to still process it in our sleep. But now, it's not wrong to get frustrated from time to time. In a little bit, we're going to see a story about Jesus demonstrating some frustration that he had to process, too. Frustration is one of those feelings like anger or like fear that is a natural, reflexive kind of feeling, and it's not wrong in, in, of, in and of itself, but like with anger or with fear, what we do with that feeling is key. You know what character trait melts away frustration? Patience. People who are highly patient in the face of obstacles or irritations struggle far less with their frustration, and they're far more equipped to be able to reflect Jesus to the world around them. In our sermon series this summer, we've been delighting in this verse that reminds us that we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece. And our serious thesis has been, as we've been exploring this idea of not just being God's masterpiece, but that he created us to do good works, we've been seeing that we are good works of art, created to do the art of good works. And we've been walking through what it looks like to do that, what dispositions help us to do that through these verses that give us an idea of the character qualities that fuel how we do good works, that reflect the truth beauty and goodness of the master artist. Now before the last couple of weeks, while we took an intermission on this series for worship and baptism, Pastor Caleb walked through the art of humility, and then Pastor Rick through the art of gentleness. And if you missed either of those sermons, I encourage you to go back and catch those. But now today we'll resume our trek through these qualities with the art of patience. Now, the kind of patience that we're talking about today is not like that patience that poor kiddo needs when she's waiting to open her Christmas presents, and not really any sense of waiting. This isn't like the patience required to wait for a wedding or a baby to be born or something like that. And for all of you healthcare workers out there, these are not the patients that we're speaking of either, although they may represent good opportunities to practice patience. 
No, the kind of patience that we're focusing on today is what Jesus called us to, what Paul calls us to in the verses that we just saw about bearing with one another, extending patience with each other. The Greek word that the Bible uses for patience is macrothumia, and it literally means to be long-tempered. Now, maybe you've never heard anyone described before as being a long-tempered person, but I bet you know what it means if you hear someone is short-tempered. The opposite of patience is short-tempered. Biblical patience is calling us to not be like that, but to be long-tempered people. Now consider this with me. These verses, the, the, the qualities that we've seen in this verse, I don't think these are random. I think they build on each other because in order for us to shine in the art of patience, we're also going to need to be humble people because it takes humility to be honest with ourselves about a question like this. How often am I the one who frustrates other people? And it's gonna take gentleness for us to care about the answer. If this is messing with you a little bit, let's try this question. Have you ever asked yourself, how often do I cause God to have to be patient with me? God is on an important mission in this world. He is actively saving people from every nation and every generation through the gift of grace offered by Jesus Christ. And he is steadily driving with purpose to that day when Jesus will return and restore all things to the way it was supposed to be before sin entered the world and caused the brokenness that we experience now. And that can sound good to us. We can be fully on board with that. And yet, even we who aim to be fully devoted followers of Jesus can still find ourselves working at cross-purposes with God. We don't always live in God-honoring ways. We shy away from sharing our faith with someone because we're afraid of how they might react. Or we don't love someone the way that Jesus would have loved them. Or let's turn up the heat on that a little bit. How often do we give in to short-term temptations, even knowing it will lead to long-term dysfunction? God is so patient with us. He is heroic in his patience with us. And I know that I need to own at times that I am the problem. I am the one who needs patience from other people, who needs patience from God. While I was working on this message and and God was doing a work on my own heart of how much I need that, it crushed me a little bit, if I'm honest. And I knew that I needed to repent and to focus on this myself. And if in your humility you're beginning to feel a little bit of that too, or if you maybe do in a little while after you've had some time to process this, let me encourage you that God's word has what we need to think rightly about God and his heart towards us. There's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 103, that describes God's macrothumia, his long temper with us. And I'd like us to take a look at this now. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, 
So far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. There's beauty here for us. I want you to take it in again, just a little more slowly this time. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. We fail him. We sin, which means literally to miss the mark like an arrow that doesn't hit its target. And sin isn't just the bad stuff we do. It can also be the good that we know we ought to do and we just don't. And yet, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. I'm one of those people that hates to know that I've disappointed someone. Like a good firstborn, I want to live up to expectations. I want to please people. And when I know I haven't, I have a tendency to pull back and fear that maybe I've done something to ruin a relationship, but I needn't fear this with God because as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. God, the creator, the master artist, is doing a good work in each of us over our lifetimes. He is patient with us. He is slow to anger with us. He forgives us over and over. He doesn't expect more of us than is appropriate because he made us and he knows our weakness and he overflows with compassion for us. Patience is one of the beautiful colors that the master artist is weaving into the tapestry of our lives. And yet, as he made us not just to display his handiwork, but also to do the art of good works, he commissions us to be patient with other people, just as he is with us. Now, he isn't doing this in a guilt-trippy way. It's not like he's up in heaven saying, man, I've got to be patient with all of you guys. The least you could do is be patient with each other. No, he wants us to be patient people because it's good for us, not just that it's good for other people. Some of the biggest regrets that I have in my life, I could have prevented if I had been a little more long-tempered, if I'd been just a little more patient. As I was thinking about this topic, I couldn't stop remembering a time when I completely lost my patience with one of my children, and I yelled and yelled at him at the top of my lungs. I can still picture where we were standing. I can still see the look on his face. And I called him up in this process, and I asked for his forgiveness again, and he gave it to me, and I appreciate that. But I wish instead I could just have a do-over on that day. I wish I could go back and have redone that day with a little more patience. It would have spared this kiddo that I love that pain, and it would have spared me the regret that I have over this incident, as well as many others that would be far harder to admit to you. But this regret motivates me, and it makes me want to grow in this aspect of my life, and it helps me to realize that God's call to patience is as much for our own good as patience givers as it is for other people. 
Test me on this idea. If you had just been a little bit more long-tempered, what personal hurt or regret could you have avoided if you had been more patient? Do you want to join me in seeking God's gift of becoming more patient? Well, most of us say we do want more patience, and yet we also seem to be hardwired to give a list of excuses of why we shouldn't have to be. I mean, think about this. How quick are we to say, well, I can't be patient right now. I'm just too tired, or I'm in a hurry, or I'm feeling stressed, or you just you don't understand all of the emotional things I'm trying to process right now. Or what about when you feel betrayed? What about that person you think, he or she should have been on my side and they're working against me. How in the world could I be expected to be patient with that person? Or I've been patient with that person for a long, long time and my patience is all used up. If we're gonna get better at being patient people, we're going to need some guidance in this. And so I want us to look to our best example of all and see Jesus at work. Now, the Bible doesn't record for us a specific incident where Jesus taught directly on the subject of patience, but we can see him model it for us throughout his life. And so we are going to learn by his example through the chapters of John, chapters 13 and 14. Now, I'm going to put specific verses for you up here on the screen, but if you would like to follow along to keep in context here, I invite you to open your Bibles to John 13 and 14. And as you're doing that, let me put some things into context for you because we won't grasp the full power of Jesus' patience if we don't realize what he was up against. We're gonna be observing Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. They've just had their last supper together. This is the night before he's about to be betrayed, arrested, and killed the next day. And keep in mind that Jesus knows this is going to happen. Throughout the Gospel of John, he's referred to the death he knew he would die as his hour. And after arriving in Jerusalem, he began warning his disciples that the hour is approaching. It was time for God's plan to save his people through what would be accomplished by the death of Jesus and the glory of his resurrection. Jesus had said to his disciples in John 12, 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, he was ready to die, but it didn't mean he was marching to it gleefully. He says a couple of verses later, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Jesus knows the misery that he is facing, and yet he is submitted to it. And then chapter 13 begins. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, and he demonstrates this love next by washing the feet of the disciples, including the feet of his betrayer, Judas. And we can admire his graciousness in what it would have taken to do that, And yet, I appreciate that just as he announces this betrayal, verse 21 lets us in on his emotional state, letting us know that Jesus was troubled in spirit. Judas left right after this, and the countdown clock to Jesus' death began ticking louder. Making the situation even more intense, Jesus revealed to the remaining disciples that he would be with them only a little bit longer and that another one of them, Peter, 
one of his closest would also disown him, not once but three times. Now I want to ask you here, what would your emotions be if you were in the room with them? Would you be feeling awkward? Maybe frightened? Stressed? Can you imagine anyone being patient right now? Remember this list? How many of these describe Jesus' reality at this point? Hurried? You know he's feeling that time pressure. He knows what's about to happen. Tired? Well, the text doesn't say anything specific about Jesus, but we do know that what happens next is they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus asks his three closest friends to pray for him, and they're so exhausted that they can't stay awake to do that. Emotional and stressed? The text did tell us that. We've already seen it say that Jesus was troubled in both soul and spirit. Feeling betrayed? Absolutely, that's happened to him in the most egregious way of all, and he's anticipating the heartache of Peter's betrayal too. Patience all used up? Well, let's keep looking in John 14 and watch Jesus deal with this one too. As John 14 begins, these factors are all swirling for him. And I would think if there's ever a time when we would want to cut Jesus a little slack and not expect him to be our perfect picture of patience, it would be here. But our Jesus is the ultimate masterpiece, the ultimate expression of one who embraced the art of good works, not the least of which is the art of patience. And in the midst of all of this tension in the upper room, Jesus says to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus reassures them of the anchor that they have because of their belief and their faith in God in heaven and also their security in their belief in the God who was in their midst. Author and theologian D.A. Carson in his outstanding commentary on the book of John speaks about this chapter and says, on this night of nights, when of all times it would have been appropriate for Jesus' followers to lend him emotional and spiritual support, he is still the one who gives comforts and instructs. Could there be a more powerful picture of patience than someone who is able, even on the hardest night of his life, to still be attentive to the emotional and spiritual needs of someone else? I think the only way that you could achieve this kind of patience is to take the focus off of yourself and to put it onto something much better. Because think about it. Think about that list of excuses I've put up now a couple of times. What do they all have in common? All of them are self-focused excuses. I'm too tired. I'm too stressed. I feel like I've already been patient longer than I should have to be. But reflect again on Jesus' wisdom and receive the first of three principles that I think can really help us gain patience. Jesus reminds us, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so when troubled, take the focus off of yourself and remember your belief in God. Instead of feeding what you believe you deserve in order to respond to someone with patience, remember what's available to you because of your belief in God. We who know God know that we are loved by a God 
who is aware of every situation that we face, every struggle that we're having. And not only does he know about it, he knows how it will all play out. And not only does he know how it will all play out, he is capable of bringing about any good purpose that he wants to in that situation, even if we can't see it yet. You can add volumes to your patience when a situation is spiraling into chaos by resting in your belief in who God is. He is in control. He is at work. And he is good. Now maybe if you don't yet believe, maybe this is another way that God is reaching out to you and inviting you to trust in him. Well, in the next verses, Jesus goes on to tell his disciples that he is going to prepare a place for them in his father's house and that he'll come back to take them there. And he reminds them that they know the way. But then Thomas blurts out, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now, if you're looking in your Bible, and particularly if you're familiar with this passage, the verse that comes next, Jesus' response, may be very familiar to you. But before we look at that, Remember again all of the factors swirling around where Jesus is right now. He knows that countdown clock is ticking away. His entire ministry has been focused on revealing the way to salvation, the way to be with his Father in heaven, what the kingdom of God is and and how to be part of it. And now here's this missing the point question from his disciple Thomas who has been with him to hear nearly all of his teachings on this topic. And not only that, as someone that Jesus expects after his death to go and carry this message forward to the ends of the earth. If you were Jesus in this moment, what would your patience level be with Thomas? So that's what I want you to take with you into this next incredible verse as Jesus stays focused on what is important and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you ever admired this verse for the long-tempered response that it reveals in our Savior? Can you picture the gentle strength that it would have taken to rise above all of the things that were happening in that room to declare one of the most important things ever spoken about the way of salvation? So I think a second great principle about growing in our patience that we can learn from observing Jesus is to remain focused on what is most important. Situations or people may cause great frustration or even discouragement, but as we play the long game of what is most important, we can stay locked in on responding well. Not that it's easy, and I don't think even Jesus would have said that it's easy. Let's go back to the passage and see him get hit with another missing the point question, and then we'll develop this idea a little bit more. Philip said, another one of his disciples, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? And I appreciate that I think this time in Jesus' response, we can begin to see a little bit of frustration here. 
Remember, frustration, even disappointment, is not a wrong feeling to feel. It's what we do with that feeling that reveals if we will be a short-tempered or a long-tempered person. So see our long-tempered Jesus again remain focused on his mission, focused on what was most important. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Now what we can observe here is that even under all of the pressures that we often use to give ourselves a pass on not having to be patient, Jesus has stayed focused and locked in on his mission. Now, I'm admittedly not doing justice to the deeply theologically rich meaning of this passage, and I wish that we could delve into all that John originally intended to communicate through these verses. But just like the disciples learned not just from Jesus' spoken words, but also from watching Jesus, we're staying focused today on what we are observing about our Jesus in the way that he demonstrated his patience. And what we see of him here is that he stayed focused on the long game of what was most important. When you have a situation that you're failing that is making your patience run thin, focusing on what is ultimately more important grounds your patience. But if I were you and I was sitting out there listening to this, the first question that would be coming to my mind is, Well, how in that moment do I figure out what's most important? So let me offer this as a tool for you. Jesus told us that what is most important in all things, the greatest commandment, is to love God and to love others. So ask yourself, what does love require of me in this situation? Don't underestimate the positive impact that answering this question can have on your discipleship. Don't underestimate the positive impact that living in this way can have on the way that you reflect Jesus into the world. And yet, playing the long game of loving other people in what is most important is one of those things that's easy for me to say and yet so hard to do, and I fail at it all the time, which thankfully brings me to the third point that we can use to help us in our quest for patience, and that is to ask the Holy Spirit for help. A few verses later in John 14, Jesus encouraged the disciples with the wonderful news that not only do they have the words and examples that he has spoken to them, they will also have the Holy Spirit to help them. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. While becoming long-tempered is tough, we don't need to white-knuckle our way to it. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, as listed in Galatians 5. It's one of those qualities that as we grow in our faith, as we become more like Jesus, we can ask for the Spirit to give us more of what we need, of what we've heard, what we've learned, and ask him to develop it in us. And if you don't feel strong in this area of your life yet, don't be discouraged. God's handiwork is ongoing. He gives us the spirit to guide us. He gives us the spirit living within us to give us the ability to do good works that we wouldn't feel like we had the strength to do on our own. And so the next time you feel yourself at risk for losing your temper or lacking the patience with someone that you wish that you had, take a deep breath and ask the Holy Spirit for help. 
Ask him to remember what you've learned. Ask him to remember what is most important in that relationship. Ask him to give you the love that you need to love like Jesus. Now the good news for us today is that God is patient with us in this pursuit. He knows that we are like dust at times. He knows that we're going to blow it, but he forgives us over and over, and he takes delight in us as we seek to do the art of patience a little more beautifully each time. Well, I'm feeling a bit like I'm living out that recurring dream of standing in front of a few hundred people, feeling a little vulnerable right now. I'm gonna land this plane right here, and I'd like to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help for each of us in this area of our lives. God, we thank you for your patience. We thank you not only that you model patience for us, but that you are patient with us. And we ask that you would help us as we seek to become more long-tempered people. Lord, in those times when we know that patience is better and we just are struggling with it, would you overwhelm us with the filling of your spirit so that we could love like you do. And we love you for this. Amen.